0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: If you don't mind me asking, what's been the, the lowest point for you in the last few weeks?
2: Closing. I just really thought, and I probably said it at the time, we're all right as long as we don't short. <laughs> Cause then we've got zero income, and we wonder not know what the world looks like. Ah. Um and then it was it's all right if we just shut for a few weeks. And then I'm not, we're not sure how long it's going to be. So I think I've need, I need to stop saying stuff like that, um, or even think it.
1: That is Sharon. She employs 160 people, runs an attraction that had 640-odd thousand visitors last year, and on the day in March that Prime Minister Boris Johnson... Told us all to stay at home, she had to close her doors. That is why people will only be allowed to leave their home for the following very limited purposes. Shopping, since then, she's been learning about furlough schemes, business interruption insurance, and VAT deferrals. It's the lexicon of lockdown. And for a lot of businesses and charities, it's like a code to crack against the clock before the money runs out. Is help coming? They hope so. Lives matter the most. First and foremost, the COVID-19 pandemic is a health emergency. It's also a grand and difficult social experiment in isolation. And it's an economic challenge, where we know governments are promising to do whatever it takes to save jobs and keep businesses and charities alive. But accessing the help is difficult and uncertain, and the demand is much higher than the UK government imagined. If you run something, or work for something, there are a lot of hard policy things to get on top of. But the truth is, this is a really emotional time to be trying to keep a business on the road. We all know by now, it's quite a trial, just keeping body and soul and a semblance of normality together during the lockdown. Food, communication, money, everything's a challenge, and all of us have our struggles. But have you tried doing all of that while you're looking after a couple of tigers and a troop of chimpanzees? So Sharon, who we just heard from, is Dr. Sharon Redrobe, the CEO of Twycross Zoo. And as well as trying to save people's jobs, she's got 500 animals to think about. Lemurs, leopards, penguins, and yes, even some tortoises. I'm David Taylor. Welcome to The Tortoise Podcast. This week, we're going to the zoo. At Tortoise, we don't just make podcasts, we publish stories online and in our app. And if you only want to read one thing a day, make it our Sensemaker email, which cuts through the noise and covers what matters. You can download our app and get a 30 day free trial. Really, I'd like to start by going back to the 22nd of June 1989, if we could, and find out where you were and what you were doing on that day.
2: Oh my, 22nd of June 1989? I, I don't think I've got any idea. What was I doing? Oh, I know, I was at vet school.
1: I think you were on a march.
2: Oh, you've seen my TEDx, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, let me try that again. Where were you? Where were you, Sharon, on the twenty second of June, nineteen eighty
2: nine? I was marching through the streets of London, waving a placard. I think as a as a baby student at vet school.
1: And just tell us tell us a little bit about what you were marching for and against.
2: Well, for animal rights um, and against zoos. I was a very passionate teenager, and then and then young student. I think falling into the trap that many do that. If you love animals, then they should all be free and wild. I I do completely agree with that, actually. But therefore, zoos are bad and all zoos should be shut and all the animals should be set free. So that's what I was marching for.
1: And yet here we are, 30 years or more later, and you're running a zoo. So just give us a sense of um, what on earth happened in between and what was the journey you went on?
2: Well, a lot happened, I think. I realised how complicated life was and the planet what I came to realize especially after trips to Africa and seeing chimpanzees and what was happening with the wild populations that we needed to act and it needs to be multi-layered back in you know in the 60s when animals were used for entertainment and zoos were net users of the wild and just pulled animals out of the wild to be shown to people then absolutely those sorts of organizations should be shut but actually you know from the 80s onwards and, and certainly by the 90s when I was traveling to Africa to see my beloved chimps and thinking it was going to be some version of the Garden of Eden and then seeing that it wasn't that they were being actively poached the wild was disappearing with the deforestations so that Westerners like us can have picnic tables. I mean it was that kind of nonsense going on, but there were some organisations that were keeping animals in good health and breeding so that if they went extinct into the wild, it's a contingency plan. We're, you know we're still digging up the planet, so what's what's your plan B, or what are the contingency plans, and that's where I think zoos sit.
1: I think it's right to say, isn't it, that well before your time at Twycross, they were quite analogous to that institution that you were describing, that was, you know, sort of, you know, dressing dressing chimpanzees up in that time. I think, you know, for those of us who've been around a long time, the famous TV PG Tips chimps of the 70s... It was us.
2: Um,
1: at least one of them was from Twycross, wasn't oh, it? Oh,
2: it, was it was all us, yeah. Was it? Back in the day, yeah, Twycross Zoo trained chimpanzees for use in T V adverts. One way of shifting it. When a good cup of tea really counts, you're right to drink Brook Bond PG tips. It's the tea you can really taste. And then they they made a lot of money actually as well, which which bankrolled the zoo at the time with the PG tips adverts. You know the, the the ladies, as we fondly refer to them, the founders of Twycross Zoo stop using chimps for media work because they realise actually if you run it forward 10, 15 years you end up with adult chimps that are, that are quite mixed up. They're not they're not sure who they are. They're, they find it difficult to integrate with other chimps and and they have to be integrated with other chimps or at least not living with humans anymore.
1: And we should say, of course, that that was a that was long before your time at the zoo. Um, you've been there about ten years, I think, haven't you?
2: Yeah, just (laughs) 10. Yeah. But they'd already gone through that transition, to be fair. They'd already started to to treat the zoo as a retirement home for the chimps and and started to speak out against them being used.
0: In the depths of Leicestershire, about as far from the tinsel and glitter of show business as you can imagine, stands this sunshine home for superannuated entertainers. You know that feeling that if you see another banana, you'll go mad? Well, the diet can be switched to jam sponge before you can say PG tips. Because here at Twycross live the retired stars of all those television commercials, which for exactly 20 years now, have celebrated the British
1: addiction to tea. So for people who haven't visited, what, what are the, the special pleasures and delights of a trip to Twycross?
2: <laughs> well, we're a, a lovely 100 acre site in the heart of the Leicestershire countryside. We've got loads of chimpanzees that we're, of course, famous for, but we're now more famous, I hope, for rewilding all these ex-media chimps and got them in one of the biggest groups um, in the country. And some old ladies as well. Coco's just turned 55. Wow. So she's slightly older than me. (laughs) Um, But she's she's a good age for a chimp for anyone, really. we've got giraffes and rhinos as well and penguins and meerkats
1: I should ask you, have you got any tortoises that people need to look after?
2: Um, we do, we have giant tortoises from the from the Galapagos Well,
1: oh, I don't know if I could manage them They're
2: young actually, they're only in their 70s and 80s which is like a teenager for a tortoise <laughs> so they've just started uh, mating actually, they like this time of year so um, we may get some Easter eggs, ha <laughs> So they're
1: keeping themselves busy?
2: Yes they are
0: <laughs>
1: And your passion, when you first realised that you wanted to be involved in veterinary work, was the work of Jane Goodall, wasn't it? And chimpanzees, and all the work she was doing in in Africa. Do you still find yourself gravitating towards them every day?
2: Yeah, <laughs> I think um, there's um, there's Wi Fi throughout the zoo, but I did I did nudge and make sure there was Wi Fi in the chimp area, so I can. Uh, make my way to the top end of the zoo and um, sort of joke it's my other office
1: oh, are they are they better than your colleagues in many ways
2: I couldn't possibly say <laughs> I couldn't possibly say that but it is kind of soul food I think for me anyway to to be near the chimps
1: It's been a baffling period in in so many ways for all of us. When did you first start to think that COVID-19 would have implications for you at the zoo?
2: Probably as soon as we saw it spread out of China like everybody else, actually. I think the concern was that we were going to see um, lockdowns and problems like we've seen in China. I weren't sure how that would play out in the West, but within Within weeks, like a lot of us, I think, watching the news and, and the like, and certainly before government announcements started in earnest, I think we we're starting to get worried. We, we initially are putting extra measures in place to protect our animals. We've always got them buried anyway, because a lot of the apes could catch coughs and colds and then flu and things from humans. So we're always super safe with them anyway. But we started to have those conversations. But then it was just an eye to you know how bad is this going to get in the UK? It's sure, it's surely not going to get like China.
1: I suppose it's fair to say that as a nation we were we were quite distracted, weren't we, at the start of the year? All of the politics of a new government and Brexit and all of that, and then suddenly it was right there and facing us, and the change has been so swift and so remarkable. I think it was it was on the March the twenty third when the Prime Minister gave that address to the nation telling everyone to stay in their homes that you closed, is that right?
2: Yes, I think up to that point we were clearly very mindful of how serious the situation was, but we felt that we were a safe, managed outdoor space. We're a hundred acre site, so we a 100-acre sites, we have got plenty of room and we were limiting numbers so that people could social distance on site. And we'd had conversations about if we would shut and if we would shut for a week or two or or maybe a month, what that would look like. And we'd actually made the decision to shut that day because the public were getting concerned about going out. I think, and we didn't want to be part of that concern. And then, they, and then, and then, the prime minister made the announcement that day. So that was it. Hello, and greetings from a very quiet Twycross Zoo. And this sunny afternoon, had a number of people asking us, "What's it like um, now you've closed?" Um, well, it's quiet like this, which is uh, quite eerie, to be honest.
1: Um, and how many staff do you have?
2: We have around 200 staff. It flexes a bit with, with how busy we are, but the baseline number is 160. So we have had to go ahead and, and furlough, which is a word we're all familiar with now, yes. I think, but um, furlough half the staff, so all the non-animal staff. We moved quite quickly to furlough them by the 1st of April, really because all our income is mostly people to come in to visit, so the minute we don't have anyone visit, it's zero, zero income, and as as much as we can get costs down, by far our biggest cost is, is looking after the animals, not just feeding, but feeding them, cleaning them, heating them, paying those staff salaries. For us, it's just like everybody, and I know lots and lots of businesses and people are in the same boat, or worse, but you know we still don't know when we're going to get that money back from government for the furlough scheme, so we furlough staff, but at the moment, we're still carrying that cost.
1: You're a charity, aren't you at the zoo, and what what are the implications of that?
2: The charity commission doesn't want you to keep huge amount in reserves. So we've been you know, rapidly improving and modernising Twycross Zoo and basically spending money as it comes in on improving the place and making, you know, we just opened a new, bigger for area for the chimpanzees. So we've been making money but, but investing it straight back into the site, which means we haven't got a lot of reserves.
1: Have you done the hardest sum of all and looked at how long you can sustain yourselves for without paying customers
2: yeah yeah we've had to you know because we're talking to our banks and, and we and I have to talk to my board of trustees about what all this means so yeah really um, we run out we run out of cash in June we have a supportive bank but but we need a lot of money to to do things well and we're not talking about the nice stuff to do either at the moment it's costing I mean I could tell you even with the stripped down costs that we're running at at the moment. It's £650,000 a month. That's our run rate. <laughs> so, you know, we cost about £11 million a year to run normally. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality
0: at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From
1: efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry, to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Um, and yes last year was our biggest number ever for for welcoming visitors to the site so nearly 650,000 visitors which is brilliant which which means that we had we had a a cash flow of of just over two million just now which was great and we were making great plans of what to do with that and now we're just using it to survive.
1: Let's think about your staff. It must have been really tough to have to have those conversations. Just talk me through how uh, how that went for you.
2: We have a really dedicated team of staff across the board, not just the ones that work directly with the animals, but, but everybody. It was very tough, but I, the, the way we have it at Cross is I'm just really brutally honest all the time. So we were, we were just very, very open. We just said, look, if we have to close, we'll have zero income. And it won't be the case that we should just bobble along <laughs> and see how we get on. If we have to close, and we need to be planning for that now, we need to save costs really quickly, you know. And we Easter or these these three months now are when we normally get sixty percent of our income.
1: <laughs> is that right? So it's the busiest time of year for you,
2: absolutely. Easter's huge, and then the next big one is August. And we we redid our business plan when I, when I first came to Twycross ten years ago because it it was in the doldrums then. Um, and it was losing money and it had no investment, and staff morale was really low. And so, my mission for the last 10 years was you know, we have to reinvest to grow and we have to make lots of money, even though we're a charity. It's not a dirty word because you, you know, it takes a lot of money to build decent chimp habitat. So, they, they all know the journey we've gone on. It's so frustrating. We've just come out of massive debt and getting enough money together that we can invest in the site, two million in the bank so we can really push forward and then we have to shut for I don't know how long. And then I had to say to the staff, I know there's two million in the bank, but actually we're going to have to let some of you go because if I don't, if we don't, then Twycroe might not be here in three months.
1: And how, how, how did that feel for you? Because you must be, you know, it's one thing to be brutally honest, but you must be very passionate about your your workers
2: yeah it's hideous it's just it's just hideous you know we i can't promise anybody their job back at the moment, which is horrible and i know you know I know everybody so we for the last few years you know i stand up in front of the whole team once a month and do q and a and they can ask me anything and what we've done now is i'm i'm doing a i need to do it after i've got off the off this with you actually <laughs> but once a week I'm trying to write to everybody and give them an update on where we are and what's going on and being honest as possible without being you know it's horrible it's that whole balance you know how demoralized or demoralizing do you get as well versus sort of sharing how serious it is everyone knows how serious it is. And, and I also hope everyone stays well you know that's the that's the other thing you know it, it's a first and foremost a human disease and we want everyone to stay safe and be well and although I furloughed and we talked about work from home for a bunch of staff before that keepers can't work from home
1: you know? hmm. keepers can't work from home and have I understood this correctly that you've got quite a few of your staff actually living on site now
2: yes not, en- not enough really it's a very skeleton staff there's less than 10 living on site when you're down to that number um we we couldn't let them work on their own for for long in fact they would just they would just go in to throw food at some animals in a safe way and get out again so we have a lot of dangerous animals including the chimps so we wouldn't be able to clean them out or anything on a a very skeleton staff
1: if a number of your staff fell ill from this point you would you would really be struggling to actually do the good husbandry of a of what you think a a prestige zoo should look like,
2: yeah, and it's not well, it's not even prestige, it's not even kind of gold standard. it's just no matter what we've got to be safe for the humans and for the animals.
1: those keepers who are still at work, I'm trying to imagine what it's like, are they subdued, are they different from they normally express themselves at work because it's empty and weird
2: they're um they're an interesting bunch keepers. <laughs> Um, and vets because in fact we had to be quite clear that no one's immune to disease you know so you know you do need to take care of yourself you do need to be mindful of the 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 government advice and regulations that's out there as well because we need you to be well but they're all you know you'd probably have to um i probably have to barricade them out of the zoo <laughs>
1: Oh really. <laughs> you know
2: people are brilliant at this time if you're doing what you love, you know, and and it's your passion, you know. People are I can't I can't, um, you know, thank them highly enough.
1: It sounds like your the best work you're doing is is kind of is keeping up morale but also um, having those hard conversations with with the bank and trying to ensure the future of the place. I just wonder if um, if things go badly, what's the worst outcome for the zoo? Because it's not like a shop on the high street that was there one minute and gone the next. There's, the implications are enormous, aren't they?
2: Yeah, it's not... I would say it's not worth thinking about. I mean, the numbers are quite big and scary, but, you know, we have the business interruption loan scheme, which we're, which we're applying to access. That means any business who needs access to cash... To
1: pay their rent, their salaries, suppliers or purchase stock will be able to access a government-backed loan or credit.
2: Use a massive overdraft terms. and we're going to start a fundraising campaign as well. So we could get through this. We can we can trade through it, as they say, you know, half my head now is as a businesswoman, not, not a, a chimp conservationist, but... But that's what we're doing. We've got a really strong business. We had a really good 2019. So we're kind of a safe bet. If we can just get this bridge between being shut now and having zero income and being able to reopen again, the the money, because the people will come back, the money will come back. And we've been here 50-odd years. You know, if it takes us a couple of years to recover, we can do that because zoos aren't aren't five-year-old businesses, you know, big zoos like ours. You know, once you've done 50 years, you're here for another 100, you know, as as part of the conservation solution, not the problem, which is why I always say as well, you know, we're, we're here for the long term because we're dealing with population management. So I know we can come back from this. It's just banks and governments having faith in us to give us the grants and the loans we need to see us through.
1: And so, it is the gravest risk then not to the the welfare of the animals, but to the the livelihoods of the staff? Presumably, if you rack up massive debts, you are um, you are perhaps going to have to think about functioning on a smaller workforce.
2: Yeah, that's the discussion now that we are having of um, what does the future of Twycross Zoo look like? And of course, there is two views at least. Um, but you know, do we? We had plans to keep investing in the site and doing new stuff and getting more people to enjoy wildlife and educate them about the natural world, all that stuff. Do we continue with that plan, even though we can barely afford any more investment, but continue with even more debt to continue that plan, or do we pause it all for five years and hunker down and see? I'm not... (sighs) We don't know what the economic environment's going to be like either when we reopen. Are people going to be slightly stir-crazy and start coming out in droves, certainly by the end of this year, which would be lovely? Mm -hmm. Is there going to be such an economic depression? People won't have the money for secondary spend, which is what we're seeing as. So, again, we hope we'd be positioned in that space that people would still want to come out and support us, and that, that means money we've got to get the pricing right for that and the messaging right for that for the long term
1: from what you said though the you know, you know the higher purpose of of a institution like a zoo is to to fulfill its duty on conservation and that's clearly been your life's work it must be shattering for you to think about closing those programs down because you can't afford them
2: well it's gutting no it's gutting the the great work that the modern zoo does for conservation, which is why, you know, I did march against them. And um, I'm not necessarily zoo's biggest fans. I just see the need for them, like hospitals. You know, there is a problem of habitat loss and extinction in the wild. And we need an ark and zoos are that ark. Good zoos are those arcs, um, And they need to be doing it for the long term. You can't do it for short term profit. It, it needs to be, you know, long term population management. So I believe in all that and... We can continue doing all that, not on a shoestring though, and that is the challenge I think the first the first priority has to be the animals that we are committed to looking after. We have to look after those well
1: what's the burden of responsibility that you feel at the moment?
2: It's my job to get all the money together and and having started as a vet and fixing things is is kind of my bent so you know I know I'm calm in a crisis that used to be whether a gorilla was under anaesthetic and how safe it was and now it's kind of the whole zoo as a as an organism so I can make plans I can stay calm I can try and give everybody hope I can get the numbers together for the bank we're writing letters to government we're influencing ministers you know that's all we can do, isn't it? It's never, never over till it's over. So that's what we're going to keep doing. You tired? Yes. <laughs> I have no idea what day it is. <laughs> no,
1: I think, I think we've yeah. all got to to that stage, haven't we, really? Um,
2: but there's worse things, you know. Of course. There's there's lots of there's lots of bad stuff happening everywhere, um, and I don't you know, I don't mean to take away from that. You know, it's just this is what what I have to be doing right now.
1: Sharon told me she had a busy day coming up, so after we spoke, I wanted to give her another call the following afternoon. Um,
2: yeah, really busy day. Um,
1: By the time we talked, off the she'd been speaking to the bank and to two different government departments. It was amazing was to see how fast things were moving.
2: And a bit more frustratingly, I think we're starting to model being closed till October.
1: Oh, wow. Is that is that of your own volition, or have you been given um, no. an
2: Well, no, I think it's just the state of the world and perhaps that's what we should be looking at it's like really so how does it look um well i had a little cry <laughs> i think uh, but we just got to do what we got to do so that's the that's the modelling now for the banks and for any other schemes is um just almost just well just writing this year off financially which is a huge hit
1: and what does it do staffing levels-wise?
2: No, at the moment, well, we're just talking about carrying on like this, so furloughing staff for a long time, you know, till October, and and having the current um, staff that are working with the animals continue to do that. But I think we need to step back now and start strategising on what reopening plans look like, what next year is going to look like,
1: how much debt do you think uh, you will be in by October?
2: I know how much debt we'll be in by October, so we'll have a £3.5 million pound hole in our accounts. Oh.
1: And to remind ourselves, we you, you went into this with a couple of million behind you. I
2: went, went into this with £2 million in the bank, yeah, that we were going to start spending on renovating other parts of the zoo.
1: But it sounds like so. So 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 to be to be really positive, it sounds like you're you're well. Firstly, you've got through to the bank. Yep. Secondly, um, it sounds like you've had a fair hearing. Um, do you feel like um, you're getting enough support across the piece?
2: Um, I think the banks are doing what they can, but I don't have the money in the bank account yet. <laughs> so these are nice noises, and you know we keep hearing government announcements supporting different industries and you know, ours we're trying to save animals from extinction, you know, and if zoos start going under, it's gonna be really difficult to to reactivate them. So we we do really need to have a look at the business plans of all the all these zoos and how much support they're gonna need. It's a it's a lot of money, but then you know, it's it's not a lot of money in some grand schemes of things. So I think it's just about us holding our nerve, making sure the facts and figures go in. Um to defer and the Treasury so we can, you know, bridge bridge the gap.
1: Right. God, well, Sharon, I, I, uh, thank you so much for, for talking with us and uh, we'll be um, following your fortunes.
2: Thank you. Thanks a lot.
1: All right. Take care. As ever, thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, we've just launched the Tortoise Interview as a new podcast series on Spotify and iTunes. You can download our app and get a 30-day free trial. Stay safe and see you next week.
0: Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. How do you solve a crime in reverse when you believe that someone was murdered but have no clue who the victim was? We have to do our job. And we have to find out Who did they kill? If it's possible. How are we going to do that? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.